This week on In Her Words, we're sitting down with Eli Rollo as she launches her first novel, I Didn't Know I Needed This. Trust us, you need to meet Eli, listen to this podcast, and read this book. She is just a joy. We love talking to her, and we know you're going to love meeting her as well. Okay, you're a podcast pro. We are full on amateurs. So anytime you need to step in, tell us. No worries. I wouldn't call myself a pro. I just love I love the internet. So I always have a good grasp on anything internet related. Generational, my friend. Generational. Yes, love it. for sure. Well, thank you for joining us. It's so nice to meet you and so excited to have you uh, have you on the podcast. You have so much to talk about. We'll get to your exciting new book in a minute, but um, we are, yeah, we're just thrilled to meet you. And, and for our audience, we love to hear, we love to hear about journeys. Our audience loves to hear about how you got where you are. You have such an interesting story about your dream job, not being what, uh, what you thought it was going to be and, and getting to your book. But even before that, we'd love to hear um your story how you wanted to why you wanted to be a writer and and what creative uh forces were were in your childhood that got you there of course well thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here you know i think it's really interesting because i don't remember a time when i didn't want to be a writer i don't remember a time when books were not the most fascinating fascinating thing in my life i wasn't a big uh like movie or television kid like it wasn't something that could like calm me down or you know get me to be occupied for a few hours but i loved books and my mom read to me a lot and i like to credit her with kind of like planting that seed inside of me because i think she always says she read to me a lot more than the average person reads to their children, which is the immense privilege of having a mom who was home when I was growing up and is something that I don't ever take for granted. But, you know, she read to me a lot. She really prioritized that. And my memories really begin with wanting to create things. My parents said I asked if I could take singing and dancing and acting lessons when I was like four years old. It was always just, I was always just a very, very creative child. And I'm really, really privileged and lucky again that I grew up in a family that celebrated creativity Mm -hmm. and celebrated theater, even though my parents had never done theater and they were always appreciators of the arts, but it was never something that, you know, they were like doing themselves. They never were like in community theater or anything like that. So I think I was really lucky to just grow up in a family that celebrated all of those things that I wanted so badly to explore. And I started writing when I was really, really young. So I was always writing something, short stories or writing in a notebook or a journal or writing books in seventh grade or whatever else. Um, That was always just like a big tenant of my personality. And for a while, I kind of recognized writing as a strength of mine, but maybe not something that I should pursue because nobody was really presenting me with a challenge that made it feel worthwhile at the time until I got to college. And then I was obviously presented with the challenges of workshops and writing classes and professors. And for the first time in my life, it wasn't people saying like, oh, Eli's like the creative one who's an amazing writer. It was people saying this is bad, but you have what it takes to be really good. And there was nothing like those challenges to really push me and, and make me realize that in the right places and circumstances, writing could be a real career and I could be challenged by, you know, 
other peers of mine in workshops or with professors in classrooms or at jobs and internships I took. So it was a really beautiful thing to go to college and be presented with all of that. But I think it was always something, writing was always something I knew that I was going to do. And audience is something that I've been like very intrinsically tied to throughout my life. Everything I've ever explored, whether that was theater, playwriting, screenwriting, entertainment, TikTok, Instagram, writing books, poems, everything. There was always the audience component. I always liked the idea that if you create a piece of art, you can deliver it to an audience and then that audience can go ahead and reflect on it and have conversations about it. It wasn't about if they liked it. It was about learning something new, changing your mind, Mm -hmm. um, maybe having your beliefs be confronted or just enjoying something and being entertained. So I think all of this came together really beautifully when I started doing TikTok um, and it felt like that was something I, for lack of a better phrase, didn't know I needed. And I'm just so grateful for how the journey sort of shook out. There's a couple of things that you said that I want to come back to that are so interesting, but you, you were going for your dream job. You were going for your dream job in publishing because of your history. And you wanted to, um, you wanted to, to be in publishing. You wanted to write a book and what, what happens when you, your dream job isn't what you thought it was going to be. Can you kind of take us through, through that part of your journey? Sure. So when I was in college, you know, I originally went to school to be a playwright and an entertainment producing and theater Mm -hmm. producing. I just thought, you know, it's more practical this way. I knew I wanted to study theater because the English major at Michigan, which is where I went, and the Bachelor of Theater Arts major are eerily like similar, almost the same, just in one year reading plays and one year reading books. And so I thought, you know what, it would be great to do the theater major because I can have a full theater education. I can minor in like poli sci and creative writing, and then mm-hmm. I could go for journalism if this theater thing doesn't feel right. So those were kind of like the two things that I was studying. And for a while, I did pursue theater until I realized that I'm not a good producer. I just don't have like the gusto and the right energy to produce theater. I admire everybody that I went to school with who's amazing at it and doing it now on Broadway. Like I look up to them so much. I just had this realization that I wanted to write and I wanted to create things. And that was kind of a scary realization because I felt like for so long, the practical thing was really secure and doing something creative wasn't really secure. So I decided in college that I was going to study um, journalism a little bit more and try to go into journalism because I figured that while I was trying to get that book deal or figure out how I could start writing fiction or poetry or nonfiction or whatever it was, I would still be like, you know, working that muscle because I was writing as a journalist. And so I started applying to a bunch of jobs. And for two years in a row, I was the finalist for the Wall Street Journal Bartley Fellowship in the arts and culture section, which is one of the most prestigious fellowships in undergrad journalism. It's something I wanted so badly. And I would call that over and over and over my dream job. The first year I didn't get it. I knew I was the finalist because of all the rounds and of what they had told me. I asked for an informational interview with the editors of the section and I went in and asked them, what can I do better? Because this was such a dream job for me. I was like, I have to get it next year. And they gave me all this feedback and I went and I applied all their feedback. And then I came back and I applied again and the same thing happened. I got to the last round and I didn't get it. And I was again, the one, it was me and one person. And I was so like devastated and frustrated And I think looking back on it now, I'm so grateful they said no. If I had had that job 
everything that happened after that would not have happened. I was really unsure what I wanted to do after graduating school. I knew that I wanted to be a writer and I was applying to grad schools. I applied to some MFA in creative writing. I applied to some masters of journalism grad programs, but basically mm -hmm. I hadn't gotten a single job by the time like January, February rolled around. Then I got into Columbia's journalism program and then I got sent home for COVID. And I think all of those no's, all of those dream jobs I'd been rejected from, especially the ones that I got so close to, like that Wall Street Journal job specifically, I was so crushed because I was viewing them as a dream job. But looking back on it now, I wish I had just said to myself and to the world, that's a job I would love to have. That's something that I would love to try. That's an opportunity that really interests me because in reality, that wasn't my dream job. What I'm doing now is my dream job. But in 2018, 2019, when I was applying to these roles, being a TikToker or having your own podcast, of course it existed, but not at the volume it does now. People mm -hmm. weren't aspiring to that on the same level that they are now. So all of this to say, I was, you know, creating these dream jobs in my mind when my own dream job didn't even really exist when I was applying to those dream jobs. So I think now when I look back on it, and I always recommend this to young people, it's just keep your hopes high because if we don't have hope, we have nothing. But also remember that the reason for every no is going to make itself known to you in the future. Sometimes you have to be super patient, but one day you're going to realize that like absolutely crushing, gut-wrenching no, like the hysteria I was in the second time I didn't get that fellowship. Nowadays, I look back on it and I'm like, thank God. I wish I could like look at that person in the eyes and be like, the reason that you didn't get this is going to make so much sense. Just wait six months, wait a year. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. So I think that that's really like how I try to lead my life in so many ways now, because it was such a formative lesson for me. It's so interesting because there's so many articles these days and so much advice that's given for for grads to talk about how like a, it's not a it's not a direct career path and I think yeah. that's part of like wisdom of age and I think that this generation is very like this is what I'm doing. This is where I have to go. This is how I have to do it. You know, it's like even totally. interviewing people or talking to to candidates, it's like you still see that in them that they're like, well, I've done this for two years. Now I want to go do this for two years and so forth when it's it's not it's a series of stops and goes and yeses and nos and fumbling, you know, and that's the point of your 20s. <laughs> 100%. And I love how you said, you know, everyone thinks that there's such a path, but everyone's journey is different. I remember in high school and college, I would resent people so much when they would come and talk to like my class or a club or an organization, like a super successful journalist or theater artist or whatever it was. And they would give this like completely convoluted, twisted journey from how they got from point A to being successful. And I would think to myself, that is never going to happen for me. Like that's a one in a million. And yes, it is so rare to have had the success I did in the way that I had it. But that being said, don't like disqualify the ability for something amazing to happen to you and for something unexpected to happen to you or for you to take a journey that you didn't initially anticipate taking because now yeah. I look back on those things and I'm like, I feel badly that I was so like teenage and bratty and like resented those amazing people <laughs> because I looked at them and I thought, well, you're a dime a dozen. But in reality, every single person's journey to getting what they want in life, even if what you want in life is a family or you want to fall in love or you want to explore a hobby or you want to run a marathon, it's all a twisted journey. There's never just one straight line. I feel like uh, as we're on the podcast and talking to different people, especially young people, the openness and the curiosity 
are two things that just continue to present themselves. And I hear that in you, like, as soon as you real, you know, you started being open to different things, you, you got that path and being curious to what else is out there, being curious to these new platforms that you hadn't even, you know, you, of course they were there at your age, but you, you didn't consider them for a job um, or for, for a career path. The other thing that as you were telling your story and, and being in school and being challenged that I think you're unique for, you know, your generation and for where you are is you welcome the peer review, welcome the criticism. And, you know, your I think your generation gets a bad rap of, you know, you're the you know participation trophy and nobody can say anything bad. And it sounds like, the criticism and the peer review or what's kept sparking you to, to continue on. Absolutely. You know, I, I do, I do hear a lot of that feedback and I think it's more so that Gen Z has just become really intentional about the way other people feel and really like adamant and also advocates for mental health. And I think that's where, you know, the gentleness and the, for lack of a better phrase, sensitivity comes in, but I think it's really valid sensitivity because at the same time, Gen Z is such like a sharing generation where we're all sharing ideas and we're looking for feedback on those ideas. And when people ask me, you know, how do I become a better writer? If there's nothing better than a workshop, you kind of just have to get over the fact that the reason for the workshop is not to praise you. Like you're going to the workshop because everybody's going to get feedback and it's up to you to decide what feedback you're going to extrapolate, whether, you know, you trust your professor and you like their work. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't take a class if you didn't feel that way about a professor, you know what I mean? But I think it's, you know, workshops are everything and I cannot recommend them enough. So as you went home for COVID, like you said, and, and you started thinking about, you know, different things you were going to do and different ways that you're going to express yourself. If it wasn't, you know, if, if it was going to be beyond, beyond writing, cause it wasn't instead of you were still writing, how did the, the TikTok and the social aspect of it, you know, really come to you and how, I mean, it's brave to be, to be vulnerable and to be out there in public and you have, um, you've welcomed your critics, you've welcomed your supporters. How did you kind of come to that place that you were going to, you know, to show that side of yourself? Sure. I, you know, I, I always really liked Instagram. I really gravitated toward the concept of it. I thought it was really interesting. And I think when I was in high school and also in college, people would view that side of me really negatively as though it was something vapid or stupid or just like a ridiculous self-absorbed obsession. But again, I just like the way that social media enables people to connect and to form community and to have dialogue. It's the same reason I like theater. And so I think that I was just seeing that in social media where a lot of other people were just seeing, you know, filters and phoniness and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just, I absolutely love social media, specifically Instagram and Twitter when I was in college and in high school. And so pretty quickly, once TikTok came around, I also gravitated toward it. I had a very random viral moment on TikTok, but once I started to gain traction and gain followers on TikTok and Instagram, I really reflected and realized that. I think the love for social media had always been there. I can remember when I first downloaded Instagram and I do think, you know, there's so many bad sides to social media and we always have to be also reminding ourselves of like the toxicity and the negative aspects. But I was always just drawn to it uh, from 
a positive standpoint. And it, it was something that I loved. And so I think that it came really naturally to me. And again, this is one of those things, like I had no idea this was going to be like such a huge part of my life, or it was going to be such a, you know, major part of my career and such a stepping stone into doing what I've always wanted to do, which is to write books. Um, but it really started to make sense when I reflected on how I'd always loved the internet. And then you know, I like to view my followers online as more of a community. I don't like to think of them as people who follow me because in so many ways, I also follow them. And I just am so just blown away every single day by like the strength, bravery, enthusiasm, intelligence, wisdom of the people that I get to connect with online. It feels like such a blessing, like the gratitude for that is so endless. It will never be lost on me. And it's just really, it's just really special now. So I think, you know, I'd always like loved being online and I never imagined being online in this way, but I always loved it. <laughs> how do you find yourself, you know, how do you ground yourself? You know, it's like social, like when you're on social media, it's a lot and it's a lot of community and a lot of people to keep up with. And um, in addition to obviously taking care of yourself, like what is, what is your, what's your grounding? How do you step away and, and, you know, take time for yourself to make sure that you're keeping your head straight and things like that. I had a hard time doing that for a while. And I started to like implement things that were like only things that I do for myself and not because I want to post them, you know, mm -hmm. even watching television, watching and going to see movies. One of my favorite things in the world is still to this day, going to see Broadway shows and theater, but I'm always going to post about those things because I'm so enthusiastic about them because I know people like that content, but I'm a huge reader. I love to read. And I'll share what books I'm reading or I'll share recommendations or book lists, but I don't do any good reads. I don't do any like book clubs. Yeah. I don't do any um, like reading updates online in the same way that if I see a movie, I'm immediately posting about it online. If I'm watching a television show, I'm going to make TikToks about it. I don't do that. I just choose to, when I feel inclined to share, I will but ultimately reading is something that I just do for myself. Mm. When I pick up my book at the end of the day or on a weekend, I'm not thinking, let me get a picture of this to put online. I'm thinking, I can't wait to read more about this character or learn something new from this nonfiction book or whatever it is. So that's definitely one of them. I also do a lot of yoga. I'm like obsessed with this one boutique, uh, rather not boutique. It's like a group fitness class. It's a chain called Core Power Yoga. I love going there. I always meet the nicest people there. And it's like a hot yoga class. So I really feel like I can just decompress, leave my phone in a locker. I don't have to be on it. Same thing with getting my nails done because like, you like can't go on your phone. So it's such <laughs> a good time. It's such a good time to just put in my headphones and listen to a podcast. Um, and then other than that, I'm a big advocate for therapy. I think even if you're not in a moment of crisis, it's so, so helpful and important if you do have the ability to go to therapy and it is accessible to you. It's just something that I'm like really, really grateful for. And on top of that, just spending time with people I love, you know, I find that when I am, you know, on a date with my boyfriend or if I do see my brothers or I'm with my parents, I don't feel like picking up my phone. And sometimes mm -hmm. that stresses me out if it's like a working day and almost yeah. every day is a working day for me because I don't like take off on the weekends. I'm still posting and making content. Sometimes it gives me anxiety that I don't want to be on my phone, but I remember that people aren't going to recognize if I take a day and I'm not posting as much, or if I take like, you know, a few hours and I'm not updating my stories or whatever it is. So I think spending time with those people that just have known me before I did the internet is always just like a beautiful thing. No, that's really nice. And I think it is hard to 
it, it's hard to step away when, like you said, you have a 24 seven job. And there's also, um, you know, I, I, a misconception or a misunderstanding and, and we are, we're, uh, we're on in so many different platforms with women in entertainment. And we have people from, you know, from all aspects of women in, or of, inter, of entertainment that we, you know, we meet with and we work with and creating content's hard. It yeah. is a, it's a hard job. It isn't just that you're taking a picture of your ice cream cone and, you know, and you don't have to do anything for three days and, and, you know, working with what is it going to be? What message is it sending? You know, how are you doing it? How are you editing it? What, all of those pieces that, you know, it's a, it's, I think it's starting to be understood how hard it is. Absolutely. And I think it's also like, there's a lot of internalized misogyny there because people will see a woman who creates content that surrounds fashion and they will think she does nothing. And I'm like, I could never make content about fashion. Like to put together the outfits, the beautiful transitions, the editing skills that go into right. that, the creativity, the mood boarding, like to link everything you're wearing. It's just, it's so fascinating to me when I see another, specifically a woman or non-man online creating beautiful content. Sometimes there's so much misogyny embedded to the fact that they do nothing. And it's maybe they just do something that women find a lot of joy in. And we kind of are told or taught to look down on that. But there are just so many amazing people on the internet creating amazing things. And it's so difficult. Like there's so many types of content that I couldn't even begin to try to create. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's hard, hard work. Um, you you've talked a little bit about, and you mentioned it today. You do, haven't used the word influencer, and you've used the you know how you learn from your community. Your community learns from you, and you've you've been kind of public or uh, forthright about saying you don't want to be thought of as an influencer. Um, What's important in that of your sharing your personal stories and, and in your community that you're, you know, that it's not one sided, like you said, of something, someone following you? You know, I think the word influencer gets a really bad reputation in the industry and just in society, which is a shame because it's not a negatively connotated word, like mm -hmm. by definition, it's really just someone who creates content online to influence. But for me, I've always thought to myself that I don't want the things I do to influence people to do anything other than feel good about themselves. And when I do take a paid brand post or I am working with a company, I always make sure that they feel authentic enough that if somebody does decide to spend their own money to buy something that I've recommended, they're doing so because I said, this makes me feel good. This helps me to honor my life. This improves my lived experience. And they say to themselves, I think that that could do that for me too. And I'm, this is not to say that influencers online aren't doing that. That was just something that was pretty clear to me early on. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that I could make decisions in my life that I wouldn't want other people to make because I'm a very individual person doing things for a very specific reason in the same way that I might not make some of the same choices somebody else would. So I feel like it just becomes a slippery slope where I just don't want to be defined by my own ability to influence people because I really only intend to influence others to make, you know, themselves feel good. And I think there's also just this um, idea that people project onto creators online, you know, oh, like you're not relatable, but you think you're so relatable. And to that, I would say, you know, I, I 
can completely comprehend that I'm not relatable. And I've never suggested I was. I would not even use that word to describe me. You know, I have so many lived privileges that other people do not have and do not share. I can only hope that people will relate to some of the things I say, that they will find some piece of my content relatable, whether that's one TikTok or 10 TikToks Mm -hmm. or one Instagram story. It doesn't need to be everything. It shouldn't be. That would be insane for lack of a better phrase. So I think that it's just important to remember that all of these words, they get messy with connotation and they get projected onto people in a really negative way. But for me, like my goal since day one has always been, I just want to influence other people to feel good. And if that makes me an influencer, then I would love to take the title. But I think the title content creator speaks to me more because that just feels to me like a person online creating content. And that's what I feel like I do on a daily basis. No, that's, that's awesome. So let's talk about your book. That is so exciting. So your book's coming out. We, first of all, your launch party pictures that were on, were so adorable. Thank you. I want to know, did you, how were you, did you get to be involved in every aspect of like your cover art and, and everything like that and get to pick, cause it was so adorable. It was like the dream Valentine's girl party. I Thank loved it. you. Yes. So I, I knew from the start that I wanted the book to be, and I don't love this phrase, but Instagrammable. I wanted it to be identifiable in that very Gen Z way. I wanted it to feel like kind of like a shared fun secret between like the club of people who read the book, like the candy hearts and the pink, yellow, and red. I just feel like it's so, you don't see it a lot on shelves. I think the cover really stands out, but I also mm-hmm. wanted it to just be fun and feminine, but also strong and assertive and dominant. I had a lot of Pinterest boards I was playing with. We had so many conversations. We saw like probably 60 cover options. And this one ended up being the one that we went with. And the reason that we went with it was because the book to me is really about, you know, when you have your heart broken, whether that's because you lose a friend, because you lose a relationship, because somebody hurts you, because you're going through something. Sometimes you feel like you've completely lost yourself, but you actually can't lose yourself because you're all you ever have. You and your choice and your voice is the number one thing that you have to rely on. So we love the idea of having broken candy hearts in the form of a heart, because it just shows that even when little parts of you are broken, like you as an entity, you as a person, you as a you know whole, you're healed. You're always going to be here and strong. And so we just loved the way that resonated and like how beautifully that played out. And then the idea for the party was just that I know, you know, there's so many different ways to approach marketing a book. And I didn't really realize that I was doing something new or dynamic in my approach to marketing my book, which started when I signed my book deal. I was just so excited to share with my online community about every step of the way that I really brought them in kind of like side by side with me from day one to meetings. And I would do like writing vlogs and I would take them through different chapters and I would talk through things just as they were happening. And I think that this really made my community feel like they were on the ride with me and that this was a book, not just for me, but for us, which is how I really wanted it to feel. Looking back, the intention was just, you know, kill two birds with one stone. I had to make content for the internet. I also had to write a whole book. How are we going to do both? And we did both. But now I think it became marketing this book is really about sharing every little minute. So I was able to share all the covers we didn't choose. And I'm doing like a really fun video shoot this week, asking a ton of like super deep and interesting questions about the book that I feel like, you know, I wouldn't answer otherwise. So it's really just about sharing. And I think that's really what my TikTok and Instagram Mm -hmm. is for is 
community sharing and being a part of something a little bit bigger than just ourselves and having community. And that was really the intention and the goal of the party too. I just wanted to celebrate that and have, you know, all my people there. And I invited some followers to come. And on the day that my book launched for pre-order, I was like running around New York City, surprising my followers with coffees. It was just so much fun to like meet all these people in person and, you know, be together. And I think that's also going to be the goal of my book tour is just like togetherness and celebration. But I've been heavily involved in every little step of the way, which has been really, really special. As someone who's new to the publishing industry, I can say it's both everything and nothing that everybody warns and tells you about. And it's just been like the most chaotic and dynamic experience. It's been amazing. What's been the biggest surprise that you've experienced? I think when you're an author with a publisher, I just didn't even realize like every... there's just like a world that I had no idea about. I lived my whole life being like, I want to be an author, but there was no way to know how publishing functioned even. So I think on a daily basis, just seeing all the people who have worked on my book, every single person who has had some kind of part in it, the legal team and the publicists and the PR team and the marketing team and my editor and my editors, there's just so many moving parts. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know what I thought it was in my mind. And I know a lot of debut authors feel the same way. Like you're so blindsided by how crazy of an operation publishing is. I'm so blessed and grateful to be with Harper Collins. They're absolutely wonderful. And we've just had such an amazing ride. But I think one of the biggest surprises is just like, when you're kind of like a teenager and you think you know everything, you could pretend like you know how it works and you don't. And just seeing it all from the back end has been a really gratifying experience as well because I just I'm so grateful for everybody who's had a hand in this book and who's been a part of it I feel like so many wonderful people have touched it and that to me is so special have you gotten to uh like take a breath and and talk to a little uh, sixth grade Eli or high school and say this is it this is our book we we did it yeah there's been a couple moments that I've been like this is so surreal like I can't even understand like how this feels whenever I opened the first copies, which are called galleys and they're for press. And they were just the first copies we were sending out to press and whatnot, but I got to have a few as well. That was a moment that was crazy to me. I think every time I walk into a bookstore, which is often, because I love, I love a good bookstore. I just think about the fact that in three months, my book is going to be on the shelf at that bookstore, which is like something I've wanted since I was five years old. It's mind blowing to me. I think, I don't even know when it will feel real. It started to feel real when I could talk about things that had been under wraps for a while. Like when I could share the cover, when I could share the pre-order link, when I could, you know, take interviews like this one and talk about the book and, and share the experience. I think it's just going to feel more and more real as we get closer. But I remember, um, this year on my birthday, I turned 25, um, just thinking about like how sort of crazy it's been. And, and again, the gratitude that I feel and just like, I can't, I can't even conceive it. It really leaves me speechless because it's crazy that for 20 years, I thought about doing one thing and now I'm doing it. It's almost like, how do you even understand or conceive that in your mind? But it's been really so beautiful and just wonderful to share the whole last ever, ever since I sent my book deal, honestly, which was April of 2022, being able to share like the last year and change with all the people in my life and and meet so many amazing people. It's just been wild. 
it makes me kind of teary for you. Like, I know. No, it makes, it makes me teary as well. Yeah. In terms of, you know, what's next, it's, you know, what are you looking towards? It's like on your, on, on what's your next zigzag? Yes. So there's a lot going on. The book's going to come out on December 12th and we're going to go on a book tour and I'm very excited. I feel like the pandemic, if the pandemic weren't a thing, I wouldn't be on TikTok. But if the pandemic weren't a thing and I were to be on TikTok, I feel like I would have met a lot of the people that are a part of my community already just because mm-hmm. I would have been able to. But of course, things have been so wild. So I'm really excited to just get people in a room. I feel like the day after my book party, everyone was telling me like the vibe was so welcoming. It was just a feeling of camaraderie and love and joy. And I want every single stop in the book tour to feel the same way. I want girls who are considering coming, but they're worried about going alone to come and then meet friends that they'll have forever. I just want that to be the energy. I want to meet everyone. I'm so excited about that. And then looking into the future, I'm really curious about, you know, where I'll go with my writing career. I know, you know, we're talking about a second book already, which is just a crazy thing. Um, But I'm actually really, really, really excited about the second book. I mean, this first book means so much to me and it's like my firstborn child and will forever be the most special thing in my heart. But when I think about writing the second book, which I can't really say anything more, I just get so excited. Like I cannot wait to depart on that journey whenever that comes. I'm also taking a screenwriting class. Um, Very, very interested in potential adaptations for the book or just Mm -hmm. going that route in general. I've always really known that something that's directly audience related, whether that's television, film, or theater writing will be in the future. So I'm hoping to get a jump start on that now, but I'm I'm patient and I'm taking everything one step at a time because it has been such a whirlwind already. And I'm very, very grateful to my amazing team because without them, I think I would not know what direction I was supposed to go in. So <laughs> it's really special. And I just, I can't even believe that I could say the, the words my second book I feel like completely disillusioned by that um, because I just can't even believe it's real, but I'm very, very excited for what's next. Do you have, um, do you have different genres in your head of, of what you want to do with the, the books coming out and the different things, screenplays and. Yes. So I think for my first and second book, we're going to, we're going to stick with narrative nonfiction, personal essay. You know, Uh it's always been my wheelhouse. It's always been a very special medium to me when it comes to writing. And I feel incredibly grateful that my first few books to come out will be in that medium because it's really special to me. That said, when I was a little kid and thinking about writing books, I was always thinking about writing fiction Mm -hmm. and very specifically like women's romantic fiction I I think I have a lot of novels in me and I would love to explore that. And then in general, like big picture dream, like that nothing will probably ever compare to the moment in the future that I get to write the book of a musical, meaning the script. I just, that would be like, if we're talking about the little Eli inside of me, that would be like my fangirl moment of myself. Cause I'm musical theater really raised me and is such like a strong part of my identity. And I think that would be a freak out. I'm in no rush um, because I don't even know where to begin with that, but that would be really, really special. And I think, I think I'll do it. I think I have to, I would be forever so broken if I didn't pursue musical theater in some capacity. <laughs> I think you'll do it too. I don't think there'll be anything you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's your favorite play? Like what are the, what, what Broadway shows had the biggest impact on you that, you know, you step back and that's what inspires you. 
Um, my favorite Broadway musical is Gypsy, which is an older musical. And I specifically love it because it centers around, I think, female ambition in a way that isn't portrayed a lot in the media. Specifically, it's about like a stage mom, basically, who wasn't able to pursue her own dreams mm -hmm. because of like the time period and just her resources. And so she basically is a very toxic stage mom and forces her two daughters into stardom because she so desperately wants her she wanted to be a star so badly. And I think that she's just like a beautifully flawed character in the way that, you know, we can all look back on her and watch the show and say there's so many things that she does terribly. But I think it just shows how badly women want things for themselves that they don't get to have for a variety of reasons, especially, you know, these days we don't see it as much, but it's still a really big theme. And then also like the final beats of the show are really about mother-daughter relationships and how challenging they can be and how difficult they can be, but how beautiful they are. I don't know like that many shows that were as successful on a grand stage, like that have been reprised that many times that are so well known that are like, kind of nestled into that like golden musical theater list that explore those types of relationships. And so it's just a really, really special show to me. I worked at the Muni in St. Louis, which is a theater that's regional the summer of 2017, 2018. I was an intern there and we did Gypsy and that was just like a really formative summer for me as well. So that was like coming in contact with a piece of theater I really admire, but it's really a, a special piece and it's studied like very, very seriously in most theater programs in college. So maybe that, that's another reason I love it. But other than that, I would say Wicked. And again, it's like the female friendship themes that run yeah. through it are just so special. Mm -hmm. And I, we won't uh, we won't put you on the spot with your books, but we we have uh, Renee and I are both avid avid readers, and we started because we talk about books with so many yes. of our uh, of our guests on the podcast. We started doing a little uh, a little book nook um, of recommendations. But what do you have books that you're reading right now that you're loving, or that you, you know that and not that to, to go uh, that you're you know, recommending, but just that that you're loving right now. Sure. Um, I just read Yellow Face um, oh, by R. H. So Kwong. I'm going to pronounce mispronounce um, the author's name, but it was absolutely phenomenal. It's oh, a, good. a great read. I would say in addition to that one, this one's really, really popular, but if this is going to push people over the edge to read it, I hope they do. It's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I mean, it was the darling of last year's season yeah. and for great reason, but I think something that is really special to me about that book is that it's it's the author's, I think, 12th book, if not maybe 10th or 12th book. And it's the first one that has had this level of acclaim. So it's just kind of, a, it shows me to just keep going. You know, mm -hmm. she knew, she knew she had a book inside of her. She knew she had words inside of her that were going to make a tremendous splash. And it shows that she just loved it so much that she didn't give up, um, that this was her first book that just blew up. And a lot of people, I think, thought it was her debut because they hadn't heard of her previous writing. And I think that's really special. So that one I highly recommend. And I'm trying to think of what else I've been reading lately that I loved. I am a big fan of Elizabeth Gilbert. So I love City of Girls. I'd say that's one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. It's a really special one to me. And then other than that, I really like, I like classic literature. Um, I try to like do Jane Austen or, Emily Bronte or the other mm -hmm. Bronte sisters every now and again, just to like kind of flex that muscle. I'm also absolutely indebted to Toni Morrison. I feel like her books were just like what got me through college and she's just so prolific. 
I really, there's never books that I encounter that I'm like, I hate this. Cause I just, I sit with it and I think about the person sitting there writing it. And that to me is such a special thing to be able to hold something that meant so much to them in my own hands. I have like a, a million books around my apartment everywhere. <laughs> I just bought like six books yesterday that I'm going to read for the rest of the year. And I would say, you know, I would say just don't be afraid of, of approaching books that you felt like you might not like, because th those are always the ones I like the most write something that someone recommends you're like I would never pick that yeah. up yeah yeah it'll yeah, end up being something exciting. yeah that you absolutely adore well I know that we're coming up to time but we wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and we were wishing you so much luck with the new book and we cannot wait to read it thank you so much for having me this has been so fun if you enjoyed this episode subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womeninentertainment.com.